you're tuned into episode five of the Comics Pals podcast. We're comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Yeah, we are the leading conspiracy nuts pushing the theory that Batman is actually Wayne Tech billionaire Bruce Wayne. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Wait, that's that's insane. You've never seen him in the same room before. Exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Pals, the Comics Pals. Um, last week, we did a little election, a little uh, little mock election, and uh, should, so, guys, should I just give my victory speech now, or what? Uh, excuse me, I think, I think we all know that the real victory, much like in real life politics, was voter apathy. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, poll numbers were abysmal, people. Yeah abysmal You're probably right and so while we didn't get a ton of votes we did get a write-in and i think <laughs> you know we all agree that uh we have to go with this choice uh and this is coming from yeah whoever gets the most votes <laughs> yeah. wins right that's how it goes this is coming from uh martin viva on uh youtube he left us a comment i'll read i'll read it really briefly uh hey pals love the show Wanted to show love and support you guys and tell you how excited I am every time I hear the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. With that being said, pals, I wish to nominate Wilson Fisk as the president, a.k.a. Kingpin. I love his character and how he imposes fear into others and his background. He wasn't born wealthy, earned his respect, and started from nothing. To me, that's a true American and a true go-getter, and personally, I love his way of being... Anyway, pals, keep up the good work. Can't wait to tune in next time. Thanks so much for writing in. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, I guess. Look at that. Yes. We have a winner. Kingpin is your president-elect, people. <laughs> Who says third-party votes don't count? I was just going to say, every, the way he uh, Martin describes Kingpin is also exactly uh, the description of Godzilla. So <laughs> we could also... Uh, assume that Godzilla is the emperor of the United States. Speaking of which, we did actually have some other uh, comments we wanted to read. Um, friend of the show, Jack Ninivagi on Facebook says, I like Godzilla's stance on alternative forms of energy, but I find his foreign foreign policy is a bit too aggressive. <laughs> I don't... I here's I have a problem with that, because how can it be too aggressive when the world is destroyed? <laughs> world destruction isn't a bit too aggressive for you? If if there's no one around to call it aggressive, is it aggressive? Wow. <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. If a city falls and no one's ar around here, is it still... Thanks for the comment, by the way. Yeah. Does it make a sound? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jack. Uh, we got one yeah, more to read. Uh, Jimmy Bartz on Facebook says, I think Luther's actually won the presidency before, and sometimes he's a bad dude, but he saved the DC Universe in the new 52's Forever Evil, which is an all-time fave. Plus, most of his jerkness is based on standing up for typical humans against metahumans. Sounds like a vote for Luther. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Does that count as a vote? Oh. Uh, I don't know. So, so it's, so it's, so it's Fisk against Luther? Wait a second, wait a second. Don't we have... A vote for Norman Osborn on Twitter. Do we? I nope. I oh, think wait. we do. I, we might. We might. You gotta tally your votes, man. I don't know. <laughs> I think we do. We're very professional today. Marco's not here, so we uh, we're not fe we're not feeling the professionalism. Oh, Marco's not here, by the way. We don't know what to do without Marco. Marco, Marco can edit out all the dead air. It's no big deal. Oh yeah, we haven't done like the formal intro for all of us, have we? Nah, screw that. Oh whatever. This is still like our last time on. Like, 
<laughs> Last, Last time, time on, on the, the Comics, Comics Pals. Pals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, a a lovely person named Rebecca Alejandro voted for Norman Osborn. So thank you on Twitter. On Twitter, yes. Read read her tweet. I want to hear this vote. She says, "I I vote for Norman Osborn, but obviously I'm biased." I, I have no idea what she could mean by being biased. I'm not clear on that. That sounds like a collusion, and I will not stand that for it. That sounds like vote vote Wait, tampering. I think Sean. the implication is that she's having an affair with Norman Osborn. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, that doesn't disqualify her vote. That's right. She is allowed to like, even if you are sleeping with a candidate, you could exactly vote for them, so. So, does that mean we have a tie? You have a three-way tie. Does that mean we have three presidents? Oh, no, that means it goes to the Electoral College. So, each of us now has to cast a vote for one of these three. Oh, nice. Okay. Crap. Well, I vote for Norman Osborn. Uh, All right. Phil, are you going to vote for your own candidate? Is that my safe assumption? Uh, Oh, my God. No, I'm going to vote for Wilson Fisk. Okay. Kale? I think I want to go Lex Luthor. <laughs> what? <laughs> so now I'm, a, I'm the tiebreaker? I have the deciding yeah, vote here? You do. Good call, Kale. We had to split the vote there. That wasn't even for drama. I legitimately, like, want Lex Luthor. I'm going to go with Fisk. I'm going with Wilson Fisk. I, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a man from the streets. He's a blue-collar guy. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Wait a second. Are we really voting for a known criminal thug? All three of these people! are known criminals, Sean. It's levels. <laughs> it's degrees. Uh, yeah, hold I'm on. I'm willing to hold take on, the Sean. fat bastard who fights guys that break into his house over <laughs> the guy that threw a college-aged woman off of a bridge and murdered a police captain. Wilson Fisk for president. Allegedly. Thank you. Exactly. The connection to the Green Goblin and Norman Osborn has not been established. Exactly. There's no proof. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Isn't that another one of our conspiracy th- theories that we've been really propagating? That Norman Osborn is, in fact, the Green Goblin. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, you know what? The votes the votes have spoken. Wilson Fisk is president. Elect. All right. There you go. Congratulations. So, congratulations, Wilson Mr. Fisk. Mr. Fisk. See, I'd like to see Daredevil get to him in the Oval Office. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that'd be a sweet episode of Daredevil. That would be sweet. <laughs> Daredevil breaks into the White House to get Wilson Fisk. Somebody keep this podcast from uh, Mark Wade. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, what have you guys been up to this week? Pokemon. Also, Pokemon. You haven't been playing Pokemon, Kale. I, I didn't get it. Yeah, yeah Kale just wants to yet. fit in. My life is terrible. Hey, Mom, um, can you mail me Pokemon? I really want to play. <laughs> All my friends have it. <laughs> Pete and I are just like, yeah, Pokemon. Kale's just sitting there just like, oh, okay. It's like these past couple of days, all I can think about is Pokemon and how much I can't play. (laughs) And it It sucks. I bet. Um, Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I have literally done nothing but play video games this week. I've been playing Pokemon and Dishonored 2 like anytime I'm not working or editing videos or something. So. I went to bar trivia on Thursday night, and a friend of mine's like, "Hey, they might have midnight release for Pokemon." And I was like, "Oh shit!" And I was like, "Already two beers down." I'm like, "Let's do it." <laughs> yeah, I did that shit. And the the GameStop where I went um, has like a really great like ticketing system where like you if you show up at like six o'clock uh, the night of the release, you can like get a number in advance. So I was like the fifth person in line, so I was like able to get it. Two minutes after midnight, go immediately home and play for like two hours. 
Yeah, listeners, I've got 17 hours logged in. <laughs> My god. So, Kale, uh, what did you do then? Yeah, so I, uh, I, speaking of, uh, Sweet, sweet nostalgia. I started the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic from uh, Boom Boom Studios. Is that any good? Uh, oh man, it's so good. Wait, wait, real quick uh, question. So we're talking about Pokemon and Power Rangers. Is this VH1's I Love the Nineties, or did I did I, <laughs> met, did I step into the wrong show? No. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking up the uh, the artists and stuff. It's uh, from Kyle Higgins, Hendry. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Hendry Pras Pr- Prasia. <laughs> this is a segment of the show where Kale mispronounces names. <laughs> <laughs> uh Wilson Fisk. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then Steve Orlando and Corin Howell also have uh uh parts in it. Um yeah, it's so good. Um Um I was I was I was saying earlier that um a few years ago, during Free Comic Book Day, there was a night uh, 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 a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers issue zero that came out, um, and it was it took place in the more nineties era of the Power Rangers, um, and it was kind of hard to get through. It just wasn't it didn't feel as good. But this one is very they sort of slipped the Power Rangers into a more modern setting, like Kimberly and Tommy like text. And, um, Groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 those little things that make it more relatable, and it's just it's it's a little bit better. Yeah, it just makes it a little more real. That's how I felt about reading Ultimate Spider-Man when it was new. You know, it's like yeah, like I I know these stories and these beats, but like it feels fresh when you see people in modern clothes and like talking about things that are relevant to you today. You know, so yeah. I can't That's believe cool. Bush passed the Patriot Act from Ultimate Spider-Man number three. <laughs> 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 uh yeah so and uh it also gives just like the tiniest glimpse into like their personal lives uh which i never really felt like the sh- like i don't remember the show doing very well it's like the one thing i wish i could see um like in this we get like a glimpse of like tommy's mom and like his house um it's just it's really interesting all the Rangers have like really distinct personalities. Uh, Billy has this really angsty, like anxious nerd thing going on, and to- Tommy's just a mess. <laughs> He's a mess. <laughs> um, Jeb's a but mess. But yeah, it's really, really good. I'm I'm really excited about uh, the Pink Ranger um, miniseries to finish, so I can finally get that on in trade. Uh, because if it, if it's anything like this, it's going to be amazing. How many issues is that miniseries? I think, I think, I think just five. Okay. I was going to say, cause like, I feel like they started that forever ago. Like I remember I, I edited a review of it. Yeah. It's like, I, that feels like it started so long ago, but I guess it's got to be coming to a c- conclusion pretty soon. I think, I th- yeah. Um, I, I feel like. Unless it hasn't been month to month. Yeah. I feel like issue five should be coming out soon. If it isn't already out. Yeah. Remember in high school, I started, like, my senior year, I started watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers again, because I was like, oh, this is cool, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was terrible, but I, I remember, um, something that really deeply resonated with me, is how Zordon reminds us all that these are teenagers with attitude, and I was like, yeah, that's me, I'm a teenager with attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Kale, did, did you get any of the, um, the, the issue zero of the Power Rangers series, those are like going for buku bucks on the internet. With those those sweet 
sweet covers that where they're holding the helmets or whatever. No, I wish I did. I think the White Ranger and the Green Ranger ones are with, and then the Red Ranger with the gold like armor plate. Those are like going for like hundreds of bucks or something on eBay. Those things are those things are freaking sweet. They've recently done uh, sort of reissuings of the um, uh, the Power Ranger action figures. They're in these weird like little triangle boxes. And uh, they have they have a Red Ranger with the the dragon shield on it, and I want it so bad. I want it so bad. That's when Jason finally got one over on Tommy. That little dick. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, can I admit something to you? I never watched the Power Rangers when I was a kid. Wow. Well, uh, guys, uh, so this is the Comics Pals. Uh, Pete is no longer part of the show, uh, so we're just getting started with oh, Sean sorry. and Phil. Uh, Marco will be. <laughs> My a- parents would let me watch it. So who's on this week's show? We, we haven't even done that. Were you, were you Mormon? No, it's so weird. Like my mom was like, my dad didn't care, but my mom wouldn't let me watch it. We weren't even Christian or anything. It was like super weird. She's like, no, it's too violent. And it's real people. <laughs> it's like, real but, like, people. Dragon Ball Z's okay? Yeah, that's a cartoon. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, Okay. Pete, but Kale. Right? I feel like I missed out on like a fundamental Kale thing. Kale did say something that I do agree with. Probably the only thing I agree with in the past 10 minutes, which is that this is the Comics Pals. Therefore, we should probably be talking about comics. <laughs> Fine, Dad. To be fair, this all started from the Power Rangers comic. So, how dare you? That yeah, that's. <laughs> this isn't a this isn't a crazy unruly tangent. All right. So, since Sean's gonna make us move on, I do have a question for the group. What's that? Wait. Does that mean it's time? I think it's time. For the random question <laughs> of the week. <laughs> did you like that pregnant pause there that was good, that was good. dramatic <laughs> based on uh our x-men film uh discussion from uh last week um i had the idea pals construct your x-men team our ideal x-men team are there any your ideal any, X-Men any team? restrictions or uh i would say give it we'll go with like give it give it five there were five original members. Uh, yeah, put a cap on at, at five. Oh, I got this. Okay. All right. Why don't you Why don't you start that? All right. Cyclops, Jean Grey. Nice. Boo! What? How dare you? <laughs> did you just boo <laughs> Jean Grey? Cyclops. <laughs> Wait, Damn you're right a Cyclops fan though, right? I guess he likes him with Emma. And you yeah. boo Jean Grey. Yeah. Get out of my life. Are you? You're. Are you an Emma, you're an Emma Stone guy, Kale? Emma Stone, Kale? Emma Frost. <laughs> oh, Emma Stone. <laughs> well, Kale, are you an Emma Stone That's guy? A I mean, slip. I'm a I'm more of an Emma Blaze person myself. I I do like Emma Stone. Yeah, um, me too. Apparently. <laughs> no, I I like uh, I like I like Cyclops on his own. Like I don't. I'm, oh, like going stag. Yeah, I don't care about any of his love interests. What? They're all garbage. The, what? Cyclops and Jean Grey have a beautiful love. Which he, like, shits on several times. All right, listen, that's a... <sighs> that's a... I'm sorry, that's... We'll table that sorry, for three that's weeks. That's what? Completely correct. No, I think it's part yeah, of the point of the character. It's not. Apolo- apology accepted. So, I think you're hitting on something, but ultimately, Kale, you're wrong, and I don't have the time to explain <laughs> to you why. Okay? <laughs> I believe you have three X-Men left. Ooh, wait, one, fi- one, one point about Cyclops very quickly. Uh, I've seen this uh, on Twitter. There's been a big uh, argument between even even established comics creators. Uh, Cyclops' uh, 
uh, uh, uh, uh, eye blasts, his eye beams are concussive. They're, it's not heat vision. It's it's a force blast. Who doesn't know that? Apparently, Gail Simone. So, uh, Gail, if you want to come on the show and 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 discuss uh, your position, uh, we'd be happy. Obviously, we'd be happy. To I gotta tell you, it. when it comes to like the function of powers, nothing will screech my libido to a seizing halt harder than talking about the physics of superpowers. Like. I've read people talk about how Cyclops concussion blast comes from a different dimension and that's how the physics of it works. And when I hear that, when I hear that shit, it just, uh, oh, my sex life dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you don't like that, then how about we talk about my ideal team of X-Men? Yeah. So what, Cyclops and Jean Grey. All right. So Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm. Okay. Wolverine. I, I can't stand Wolverine, but I feel like he brings the drama. I want to know so, what they're wearing, like, uniform-wise. You want to know what they're wearing? <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> they're wearing they're wearing whatever you want <laughs> them to be. Let's just come no, on. We got three more teams is, to get is through Cyclops here. Wearing, wearing. <laughs> is Cyclops wearing the Jim Lee outfit? Is he wearing the X-Force outfit? I mean, they have to all wear one, you know, team-based Yeah, they got to look like a so, team. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever the artist decides. I don't know. Um, so, or, so original Jack Kirby, uh, yellow and blue, yellow. Kale, yellow are blue. you the artist? <laughs> you are not the artist. The artist will design the suits. Okay. And finally, for a very controversial pick, Magneto. Oh, explain your choices. I thought I thought you were gonna say Wolverine was bringing the drama. Ah, well, I like I like dramatic teams, and I think that you know you always have to have those you know those people who are gonna insert the drama, and I feel like Wolverine will do that romantically. But Magneto is just a, a, a walking controversy, uh, so I, I just think it'd be really interesting. Phil, you wanted me to explain my choices. I'll quickly go through them. Cyclops is the leader. Every team needs a leader. Uh, makes perfect sense. Jean Grey is my favorite comic book character. Makes perfect sense. Also, she can turn into the Phoenix, which is more drama. I like it. Um, Storm, for when Cyclops loses his mind because Jean Grey becomes the Phoenix, Storm will take the mantle, become the leader of the X-Men. I think that would be really interesting. Um, Wolverine, because every team needs that grunt, I think. That, that character who can go into the weeds and cut through them. Um, he's unkillable, uh, and uh, I just I think he'd he'd fit well on a team like that. And then Magneto, I mean, he's almost got godlike powers, uh, and he'll do things like like Wolverine will that other people won't do. And I think that with a team like this, there will come moments where the team will be split about how to handle a situation. Wolverine and Magneto will be more willing to take the road that is uh, less morally savory. Whereas the other teammates, you know, might not be willing. And I think that that also creates some interesting drama. So there you go. Okay. Um, I don't have quite uh, as in-depth, like, decisions for each reasoning of each character. But I just picked five X-Men I really like that I think have good chemistry together. Um, so I'll start off with Wolverine. Um, I know Wolverine's, like, kind of a, a basic choice. But I, I do really like Wolverine. And I, I like him as a leader of the X-Men. I think I talked a little bit about it last week where... I really like Wolverine um, in the context of the X-Men a lot. I like 
having a character that is so um, damaged, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, and kind of like emotionally reserved, who has his softness brought out by interacting with kids and interacting with um, other people that understand him and empathize with him. Uh, so I think him leading a team is always really interesting because he's kind of forced to be the best version of himself. And uh, I like that about the character. Um, uh, I would have Kitty Pride because she's always been one of my favorite X-Men. I love Kitty Pride. Uh, I, I like, again, I like the dynamic of Wolverine in, in younger X-Men. And she's always kind of been, um, you know, my favorite, like, teen X-Men or, like, young 20s X-Men. She's sort of the essential, like, younger X-Man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love her powers, too. You know, like, I just think they're really interesting. Um, I think Lockheed is funny. So, like, if they want to pull Lockheed into the book, it's cool to have that option, I guess. Um, uh, to go with that, I would pick Nightcrawler as well, because I've always really liked the Kitty and Kurt dynamic quite a bit. Um, I thought that their their stories together in, like, the 80s and 90s were really interesting, and I always liked the both of them when I was a kid a lot. Um, so, them as well. I, I like Kurt and Wolverine together. Uh, I'd pick Storm because I think Storm is a really good, um, not only is like she a really good like older female presence on a team where like having like, you know, um, a kind of like leadership role there that is like an established X-Man who is like, you know, has been there from the beginning and has a lot of experience and is a lot more level headed than Wolverine, you know, um, and is is a lot, is is good to kind of like rein him in a little bit. And uh, in a similar vein to her, I would also pick Beast, just because, again, I love Hank, and I, I like his intellectualism, uh, and I again, I think the two of them are really good foils for Wolverine if he's, you know, leading a team, because they're both a lot more um, down-to-earth, and I think, you know, uh, level-headed. Cool. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting team. I have almost no knowledge of, like, comics X-Men at all, so my team is basically... I think I have one member here, which was like a tactical choice. Uh, so, so my team was uh, Cyclops, Iceman, Dazzler, uh, Wolverine, and the Stepford Cuckoos. Ooh, that's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like the idea of the Cuckoos acting as as a sort of cerebro, but like but making like a, a network for the the team does it make sense okay yeah that's cool and um yeah uh, i really like iceman too iceman yeah. almost would have made the cut for my team but i i decided to go for beast <laughs> see for me it was it was between him and nightcrawler so oh, i love nightcrawler so much plus it brings so much needed multiculturalism to my team you know him and him and aurora bring it so it's not just all american x-men because that's, like, a thing about the X-Men that I think is really important, too, is not only are they, like, of all, like, different races and creeds and stuff, it's, like, people from different countries and stuff, too. That's one thing that was really good about the giant-size X-Men run that um, Cockrum and uh, and uh, uh, Claremont launched with uh, giant-size X-Men. They're all from different countries. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote I wrote an entire paper about uh, about the X Men as like a way to teach socialism in the college, and that was like one of the like the main series that I cited because of like how great I thought that was. All right, let me give you my five. <clears throat> I was I've just been thinking about it for a lot, while you guys were talking. So, um, the leader of my team is going to be Nightcrawler because I think the 
uh, one of my favorite X-Men related books ever is Excalibur from the 80s where Nightcrawler was the leader of that team and I think he's a great leader uh, for a little secondary leadership I have Hellion from Emma Frost's Hellions uh, for more secondary leadership I have Storm who was also if I'm not mistaken oh I may be wrong I feel like she was on Excalibur but I think I'm wrong Wait, here's here's the million dollar question though. If you're going for like the '80s vibe, does that mean you have awesome, awesome Mohawk Storm, yeah, which definitely. is my favorite storm? Oh, Mohawk storm? Why would yeah? Why would you have another storm? Didn't they bring that back? Doesn't she have the Mohawk again? That's so fucking awesome. That's my and favorite. Then I have magic on my team. Nice, oh, nice. cool. And now for the final member, deep pull from Grant Morrison's new X Men run, Glob Herman. Whoa. Listeners, look him up. This is the weirdest team ever, but I like it. He's that translucent dude. <laughs> you can see his bones and stuff because he's like a big blobby guy. Yeah, he's, he's I guess, the muscle. I just like his aesthetic, so he's on the team. So you're, you're going for like late 80s weirdness. Well, well X-Men. New X-Men like 90s, it. so it's like a mix of 80s and 90s. I respect all of these teams. I would read a book about any of them. So Wolverine made three of the four teams, which I think is interesting. I think I think that's due to like the the growth we've seen in Wolverine over the past ten years or so. Um, he's gone from just you know being the the gross romantic foil to Cyclops to being like an actual respectable member of the X Men like universe. I just think I think he's a really dynamic character. You know, I think I think he's interesting. Uh, in like a similar way to Batman, where it's just like he, you can put him in a lot of roles. Like it's not. I think, well, I think that's what I'm saying. Like he's that way now. He wa- he wasn't that way when he came out, or even I would say in the 90s during the animated series. Well, well, because yeah, for the most part, I, I don't agree know, with that. Because I didn't. I mean, I didn't feel that way until, you know, uh, pro- probably about Civil War. Mm, I don't know. I think that there was a portrayal for him as being like a softened yeah. teacher yeah. before that, you know, where he had relationships with like younger X-Men like Rogue and Kitty. And, sure. I, but I mean, you, you guys do have a little bit more history with the books than I do. Wolverine as a character, I think, has always had this had this kind of soft side, like whether it was like Kitty Pride or Jubilee, like he's always been like a father figure. And even if you read a book like um, the one with Frank Miller and, and uh, Claremont, where he goes to Japan, like... You see the soft side to him. Yeah. Oh my god. That's such a good. That's such a good book. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know. I've always kind of that part of Wolverine's always resonated with me. But I like that he's a character that um can have that depth, but then also can still because of just by his very nature, it's okay for him to get his hands dirty. You know. So it's like he can do that, but then also be in a book like X Force where he's running around with you know Deadpool and X twenty three and you know like like being a mercenary kind of deal you know it's like it's cool that he has that ability to kind of uh move around as a character like he's an avenger you know he's all these different things and none of them feel inappropriate did, did storm make every team uh she was she wasn't on mine okay okay so she uh, yeah so she actually both of them had the same level of uh of resonance yeah. though on our teams yeah she she was definitely up there i definitely considered her yeah i mean i personally i think you know I don't think, like, we're the only ones who feel that way. It's like, I think Storm is by far one of the most iconic X-Men. Like, she's one of the only X-Men that is an Avenger, too, you know? Like, and has been forever. 
Like she's been in her and Wolverine, I think were the first two. Oh no. Besides, uh, obviously Quicksilver and, um, yeah. Beast. Beast is one. Yeah. Beast too. Yeah. You're right. Okay. never mind. A couple older ones, but obviously they've both been used very prominently on Avengers teams and like outside of just being X-Men, because I think they are so iconic and beloved. You know, I've always thought Storm and, and Wolverine were. That's awesome. curious. Cause Cyclops is never really straight outside of like the X family tree. No. Historically. It wouldn't be I, right. I really don't like Cyclops. I really don't. I know. And like, I don't, I don't say that to like get like trigger you guys, you know, it's like, but it's, I really find Cyclops to be a pretty, but like, that's not the truth character. at all. Like there was a podcast where Grant Morrison talks about Cyclops and he's like, he's Norman Bates is ready to burst. Because <laughs> that's who he fucking is. He's this dude who's got all the pressure of the world on his shoulders. He's buckling with it, but he's making the most out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, there's there's something about him that I've always been turned off by. And I I think it might actually honestly have something to do with just certain portrayals of the character. Um, like, even like most recently, the, the, the what was it? The end of Avengers versus X-Men? Where like he kills spoilers for that if you haven't read that two year old two year old shitty book um, where like he, five like five terrible. five year old shitty book oh my god you're right wow oh god where where do the years go um, <laughs> uh, where he kills Professor X you know and like and there's like that moment where he's like you're not my father and it's just like dude like I I, I feel like a lot of writers have continued to give him at least on some level that portrayal portrayal of kind of being like a whiny teenager. And, like, I don't think that's how the character has to be, but that's always stuck out and made me not like him. And then I think also, to Kale's point earlier, um, I always thought that, like, the whole, like, him and Gene, like, have this, like, start, like, you know, this perfect love and everything, and, and then, like, he ends up with Emma. That's, and a, gr- that's a great I, I story just, like, arc, There's though. lots of things about the character. I need to character. jump in here, because, first of all, Cyclops did not kill Professor X. The Phoenix did. Well semantics no that's not semantics no 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 gene gray has never killed a human the phoenix has killed many humans that matters because the person is taken over by an entity that's interesting you say that sean because in in um the dark phoenix saga that's like a huge moral debate in the book is whether or not gene gray is accountable for these actions absolutely and in the in the the conclusion is no exactly In the comic book universe, Jean Grey is absolved of the actions of the Phoenix, but Cyclops is not. That has always bothered me. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and then the other the other point is that the relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey has always been sort of rocky. It's present like we look at it as this perfect love, and I was joking earlier when I said it was you know this perfectly beautiful love. It's tumultuous. It, yeah, it's, it's nothing if not tumultuous, and that's the whole point of it. That's definitely true. So, I mean, I guess a lot – I've had a lot of discussions with people about Cyclops being boring, but I, I feel like – I don't want to say – I don't, I don't want to say that those people don't have experience with the character because that's unfair. But my experience with the character in the comics is, is anything but that. And that's good, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's cool that you like him and I don't, and it's like – 
I'm definitely not a huge X-Men fan, but I've definitely read a lot of X-Men comics and the characters just never resonated that's with That's the thing me, though. You know? I think it's okay to dislike Cyclops, but that's like a good thing. I think it's good to dislike characters and like characters because like if you don't feel anything about the character, that means that means they're boring. But if you actually actively dislike a character, that means at least they are having some kind of effect on you. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I would actually like to rescind, I guess, that I think Cyclops is boring. There are things about his personality that make me really not like him as a person. And but like, that's fine, because you're right. He does add depth to the books. And like, he's a foil for a lot of characters that I like. I think Cyclops so, as a character is meant to be kind of divisive. I think yep. because as a character, that's a you great know, like point. everything with the Emma Frost storyline, like that is going to rub people the wrong way, no matter what. And in some cases people are like that's like the, that's good this is like good character depth yeah i agree with that i had, i really hadn't thought about it that way and, and i think when he was like becoming a revolutionary in the last like seven years or whatever that was like a lot of potential because again it's a divisiveness yeah. because when it yeah. comes to revolutionary behavior people either hate that stuff or they like it or they love it or they really resonate with it but again it splits people i think it was jumbled terribly because x-men comics haven't been written well in a decade in my opinion but the thing is it's it's better to be split on a character than feel nothing at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I think that's a good place to wrap this one. Yeah, and so we can jump right into the news. Um, uh, first, uh, pals, pals, listening, uh, tell us your favorite X Men team. Who would you put? Oh yeah, please. Who would you put on your X Men roster? Yeah, yeah. Build your build your roster. Let us know in the comments or hit us up on social media or email us at thecomicspals at gmail Absolutely. We'll we'll read your comments on the show and make fun of you after. Well, I, I won't make fun of you. <laughs> I will. I will definitely make fun of you, listeners. The big news breaking this week was that uh, Inhumans is no longer going to be a movie. It's it's actually going to be a television show. So, yay! ABC and Marvel and IMAX are are partnering up, and they're going to do this television show and. The first two episodes are going to form sort of one big movie that's going to be in theaters. It's, they're going to shoot it with IMAX cameras, and they're going to debut it in IMAX theaters um, next year, September 2017. So, what are our thoughts about that? I don't know. I'm very, tw- I'm I'm of two minds. Uh, overall, I think uh, I'm I'm I've never been crazy about the Inhumans. I don't. I don't see their mass appeal. I don't. Um, I don't think there really is mass appeal, though. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they're they're sort of. It feels like they're kind of being like I know I know this is a dumb rumor made up by jerk fans, but like it like the past few years, it's felt like it's felt like they're they're being forced on us. No, they definitely have because of because of the the X Men, uh, Marvel, Fox. Debacle. Dude, one of the books is called Uncanny Inhumans. <laughs> Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there are there are thirty different uncanny titles specifically through Marvel. Like that's not it's a it's a cool adjective they put on things to sell comics. Like that's not. I I don't know. I kind of see Phil's point. It, it it feels and and your point too. I do think that adding uncanny to the to the titles very much echoing the X Men in a way that's like. Especially when everyone is already saying that the Inhumans are becoming the new X-Men deliberately. To do that is sending... If you're right and it is just... They just chose it because they like it. It is sending the wrong message. Yeah, I think I think if, if you are right, Kale, then that was a, a blunder on their part if that's not what they're trying to 
uh, you know, to tell us. Like, yeah, like there's certain like like Black Bolt is awesome. I think. Yep, uh, I was gonna I say that. I love Black, Black Bolt. Bolt. Black Bolt and his cool dog are two of the coolest. He lives on the fucking moon. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's um, awesome. I love his. I love his spot on like uh on like the new Avengers, the the Illuminati or whatever. Yep, absolutely. Past that, like, I care very little about the Inhumans at all. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He's literally the only Inhuman I have any attachment to at all. Um. I think the backstory behind the Inhumans is really interesting, being these humans that were altered by the Kree. I think that's a really neat thing. Um, have you guys read the like the Marvel Cosmic Odyssey by Abnett Lanning and, to a lesser extent, Keith Giffen? Some of it. There's a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's like, honestly, it's like the best five-year, like, multi-event story arc ever done in comics, in my opinion, but... Is this uh, Annihilation? It's Annihilation, which leads to Annihilation Conquest, which leads to War of Kings, which leads to Realm of Kings, which leads to the Thanos Imperative. Oh, jeez. I, uh, I only read Annihilation. Yeah, well, you gotta read the whole thing through. It's incredible. No no wonder that felt so un- unresolved. <laughs> there's more there's more coming. and uh, But in that series, uh, there's a lot of inhuman stuff that leads to the War of Kings storyline, where Black Bolt takes over the Kree Empire. And uh, it's really it's it's good. Like uh, as far as Inhumans material goes, I think it's the most well handled anything with Inhumans has been done with. Um, but I think like anything, I don't think this. I don't think that the characters are intrinsically bad. I just think they haven't been given a lot of positive attention or given a lot of good talent behind them to make people care about them. And you know, this show could be well written, and it might make people like the Inhumans. I think the Inhumans are actually really cool. Yeah. Karnak is a really awesome character. And the book with Karnak was great. Yes, it absolutely was. Hold on. Yeah. So who's Karnak? Well, Karnak is is one of the Inhumans. His power is that he can see the flaw in anything and exploit it. He's like Kale. (laughs) (laughs) He's a master martial artist. And obviously, there's some synergy between his skill of martial arts and his power. Um, and he's very pragmatic. He's kind of like their their counselor in a sense. He, they go to him when they have questions about what to do or when they need something done that no one else can do. He's he's kind of that guy. Uh, Medusa, I love Medusa. Um, she's she's the wife of Black Bolt, but that's not all that she is. She's very much. Um, uh, She's highly skilled politically. Um, she's kind of their diplomat. And Sean, do you Bolt, love Medusa? Sorry. Yeah, I, I I love her. She's an awesome character. Sean's got to think for redheads. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Crystal. I really really like Crystal as well. Lockjaw or uh, yeah, Lockjaw. Um, the dog. Lockjaw uh, rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Black Bolt's so, dog. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think the Inhumans are really interesting, but. Prior to like the last maybe six years or so, Marvel didn't give much of a crap about them. And now they're just throwing them at us. And I can understand why people feel like they're being pushed down our throats. I happen to enjoy them, so it doesn't feel that way for me personally. But I get the sentiment. Um, With respect to the topic at hand about the television show, I'm disappointed. Because I did want to see them on screen. I feel like there's there's an epicness that the Marvel TV shows especially the ones on ABC, have not captured that the films have. Uh, Not to mention the fact that 
This is a this is a team with very diverse powers, and it's going to be tough to show that on a show that's not going to have the budget a movie would. Uh, so I I do feel like it does a disservice to the team. And to be honest, if the ABC shows are anything to go by with respect to quality, you know I don't have a lot of hope for this show being good. And there's a lot of story depth with the Inhumans interacting with the wider Marvel universe. And if we miss out on that, it's going to be really disappointing. Well, and they they plug the Inhumans into you know season whatever of Agents of yeah. Shield, and 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 that was okay, uh, but. I, you know, a lot of that was also leading up to the film. And one of the main characters is one of the Inhumans, too. Uh, it's Daisy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't it didn't amount to anything. And I, I kind of get the feeling that it still won't. That's just. You know, I, I, I worry it's going to be the same as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like there, you know, the original promise was that that all that was going to take place amongst you know the the marvel movie canon or whatever and it you know the things that happened there don't really matter yeah i have heard that the current season with ghost rider is really True. good though that's what i, I, heard I can't yeah, that's what i, I can't really see how agents of shield would really have a meaningful impact on the movies though because if you go in and watch a movie and it's like oh you had to watch a full season of the show that's gonna lose audiences real fast and there have been nods to it like i know some of the characters from agents of shield showed up in I think Civil War for like a hot second, like you see them and they talk or something, but it's not like anything substantial. If that happened, I totally missed it. It's one of them. It might be Ant-Man. It's, I forget. There's one of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s like background kind of characters is shown, I think, in one of the movies. Do you, like, guys, do you guys remember um, the rumors? Maybe I'm like wrong, but I, I guess where there were rumors like uh, three years ago about Vin Diesel, who obviously played Groot, playing Black Bolt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that. I was, that would be fucking. I was cool. pumped about that. Yeah, me too. And that is not going to happen now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, not if it's exactly. on TV. And, I, and again, I feel that there's a, you know, a class of actors that you lose out on. Um, there's there's just so much that they that they're restricting themselves from being able to do now. And quite frankly, Marvel would never put the X Men on TV. Well, isn't Fox putting out a Fox, uh, a Marvel an X Men show a, or something? But not not a not an X Men television show with the with the actual team on it. There would there would never be a a, a true X Men show on television. Legion, what is that show yes. that they're doing? Legion, Legion. Yeah, hmm. that can happen. You know, one character who's kind of ancillary, who's got a power set that works for television with a lower budget. Okay. But not the X-Men and certainly shouldn't be the Inhumans. See, like, that's kind of why I'm glad they're moving this this to a TV show. I wish it wasn't at ABC. I wish it was, like, maybe on Netflix or something so that we could have a little bit more confidence in the quality. Um, But, like, the Inhumans aren't the X-Men. And, like, they're just not. And, like, I know that, like, a film is the best way for audiences to care about them. But I do think that, like, to the greater comic book community's point, I do think they've felt a little bit kind of pushed down our throats these last couple of years or months, whatever you want to say. And, like, maybe this is them responding to that, you know, and that, like, maybe trying to capitalize on this movie now is a little bit too late, you know, that they shouldn't have been laying these threads that weren't satisfying for it. That's just speculation. But, I mean, like, I'm kind of glad to... I wasn't looking forward to the Inhumans movie, and I would have been—I would have liked to have been proved wrong. But I like the idea that that money and that attention is going to go to something that I might. Care I guess about yeah. That's where my more. question is coming from. 
like I mean, obviously the sales on these Inhumans books were not good the last three years or so, but you know, I I find it curious that they gave up on the project because, you know, they did Guardians of the Galaxy, which admittedly did have a cult following because of the Abnet and Lanning and Giffen stuff. I mean, Rocket Raccoon was in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Right. I think that was preemptive, though. I do think that was, like, intentional. Um, And then they're doing a Captain Marvel movie, um, and obviously Carol Danvers as a character doesn't have a huge following uh, as a from a cultural standpoint. Um it's weird that they gave up on the Inhumans. Well, I I think that like there's more of a purpose though for sure. them to have yeah, Carol Danvers, right? Because it's like even with and even to the point of Guardians, right? Like Inhumans is the only thing that like if you look at the larger like Marvel film universe canon that like they don't actually serve uh, a purpose really necessarily for like expanding uh, that's, the universe. That's not true, man. See, it's it's so it's easy to say that if. Like you said, you're not a fan. You don't really care about them. You don't read that. But there's so much that they're involved in that. Or could be in the film context. So, like, that's the thing. They could be. But, like, all the things that – and, again, like, you're right. I don't have the experience with them. But, like, what I do know about them, they're involved in a lot of things that are already established now in the Marvel film canon. It's like the Guardians of the Galaxy introduced us to Cosmic Marvel, you know, and it's like they have a really big presence in Cosmic Marvel and they could definitely add to that world that they're trying to build there. But like, it doesn't seem like that's what they're trying to do with the film universe. It seems like they're trying to make them fill the ro- the void that is left by the X-Men. And I don't think that's a good use of those I don't characters. feel like we can and really like, say that because they ha- they're they not in the film universe. So you could s- – They are though. They're they're in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like they've been laying threats for them as being beings that live on Earth. And like, you know, like I know they're humans that are evolved and then like go to space. But like they are introducing them as like a street level like mutant style kind of thing right now from what we've seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So Sean, why do you think they're uh, omitting the, the uh, Inhumans from – the cinematic universe like what's the logic you think i think that there's been quite a bit of backlash that i feel is unfounded uh and i think that they probably decided you know what let's just go in another direction uh let's try this a different way maybe try to i, I see i see the potential for a a bridge, the Inhumans kind of being a bridge between the television shows and the films. That's a that's a possibility. Uh, but beyond that speculation, I really don't know. And it's really disheartening. Um, but I, I, I feel the need to respond to what Pete was saying because... Yeah, I was going to ask about that next. Like, what role, what niche do they fill in the cinematic universe, do you think? Well, first of all, the Terrigen Mist, that in and of itself is a huge deal. That could be dealt with um, because they were they were um, created basically by the Cree. That's something now you can you can use the Cree and introduce the Cree, and you can go to the. They replaced the Cree though. Well, no, no, the no. Cree... The Cree were in Guardians because uh, Ronan the Accuser was the uh, he was a member of the Cree. Yeah, oh, they you're replaced right. the scroll. No, you're totally right. Yeah, they they replaced the scrolls. Yeah, you're right. That's my bad. So I, I, I feel that there's a, a lot of uh, storyline depth there. I mean, Black Bolt being a member of the Illuminati, not having him there is crucial. The kind of character that he is, he stands on the level of Black Panther and Iron Man. He's very regal, a royalty character, royalty figure. I feel that they, that they could almost have these different camps um, between those different characters that can 
kind of uh, coexist and then sort of fall apart, like what we what we've seen over the last few years with um, with, with John and Jonathan Hickman's run of Avengers that you can't have if you don't use them in the film universe. And I I I understand the problem that people have with them because they're like the X Men, but they've always been like that. It's not a new thing. There is crossover and overlap between the kinds of stories that that they tell that Marvel tends to tell with these um with these teams but the, what makes the inhumans unique from my perspective is that becoming that is seen as a gift to them not to the X-Men the, the X-Men is more a story about oppression and rising above it that's not the inhumans tale and exactly. being other that's not the thing. story of the inhumans yeah but I do just want to – I do want to respond to what you said though, Sean, is like all the language that you use is like they could do those things. And I don't like disagree with you. They could do those things and it could add depth, but it doesn't add anything that is 100% new. It adds layers to stuff that already exists and all the properties that they've been introducing lately, um, like I think pretty much since Guardians have been generally – except for like Ant-Man and stuff, which are just kind of like interstitial – um, are establishing something new. And to like Phil's question earlier about why it's important for them to prioritize Carol Danvers, even though she doesn't necessarily have this like huge following, is because like, yeah, like they need to have a fucking female superhero and she is like probably the most elevated in like terms of status in the Marvel Universe. Well, they've been making her their Wonder Woman pretty hard the last two years. Right, exactly. So like, it, it it makes sense. She serves a need. Outside of her, though, should Marvel not introduce anything new or, or any properties if they don't add something to the universe that's not already there? We're, we're running that well dry at this point. I mean, I'm not necessarily making that case, but I think like in a world where like like the Inhumans, like they add another team. You know, they add another team to the to the universe, and it's like they already have the Avengers. We already have the Guardians of the Galaxy. We're gonna have the Defenders in a couple months. Like, we have the ability to tell street-level stories. We have the ability to tell team stories. Like, they're... I'm not saying that, like, the Inhumans are, like, needless or worthless, but, like, I could see their desire to maybe establish something else that fits something new, that fits, like, a, a gap that they have as opposed to the Inhumans, which seem to touch base on a lot of things they've I already done. I think from done. a roadmap perspective, this was... This was going to be after the Infinity War movies. This was yeah. this was going to be the first movie to come out after the second uh, Avengers three and a half or four or whatever they're going to number yeah. it. Right, the wrap on what we've seen so far. We're probably going to lose a lot of actors and characters from that, just like from contracts running out. And I mean, maybe they'll recast Iron Man and do something there. Like it's kind of touch and go with what they're going to do but yeah that is so interesting but as far as we way. know we might not have any of the original avengers characters we might lose the guardians of the galaxy just from like actors just walking away because like this is just such a massive time and film commitment you know the inhumans could represent just the the new wave but i don't i don't think i think they would recast i don't think they would build this franchise this long and then be like okay it's all over now we're doing an inhuman story it's like that seems a little weird Especially since they're already laying the threads for the. From what I've heard, it looks like they're they're shifting gears with different characters. Like Doctor Strange is going to be the new face of Marvel once uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr. leaves. I've heard things like that. I mean, I would say you're definitely right in uh, from in the terms of like solo films, but I think in terms of like leading teams and stuff like that, I think we're 
you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to like lose characters like Iron Man or Captain America just because we lose actors. You know, I think like we've seen superheroes recast before and stuff like that. It would be disorienting at first, but you know, we all accepted Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, even though the movie where Edward Norton sure. plays him is canon. I'm just, it's, just a, it's up in the air, right? Because it's not definitive what they look totally, like. Totally, totally up I, in the air. I had one other question. Uh, as far as the uh, Illuminati goes, do Marvel Studios only not have the rights to Professor Xavier of those Illuminati characters? Is there someone else we're missing? No, Professor Xavier and... Um, oh, Namor. Namor. And then Mr. Fantastic, too, right? Is in the oh, Illuminati? Oh, sure, you're right. Yeah, so we're like, missing a few. I thought I thought uh, Marvel recently got the rights back to... I, I the, wish. That's a rumor. I, I don't wish. think that's true. Okay. Uh yeah. So that's the thing is like you can't even recognize the Illuminati even if you do have the Inhumans because you're missing three of the core members. Well, I don't know that you can't necessarily recognize them, but um, it does it does throw a monkey wrench into doing that. But I I I we should table this. But I will say, just I would I hope that whatever they end up doing with them is successful because I do I do care for these characters and I want to see anything that Marvel does succeed. So there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so moving right along, uh, we're going to be talking about something far lesser known than Inhumans, but probably more important. Uh, retailers this week admitted, well, not this week, but in general, admitted to not ordering uh, Motor Crush number one because it has a black female lead. Uh, so for those of you who are unfamiliar, Motor Crush is a series by the team who did Batgirl, the recent run on Batgirl, uh, Cameron Stewart, Babs Tarr, and Brendan Fletcher. Uh, it's pub, uh, Image Comics. So uh, Image obviously is a place that uh, you know they're 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 trying to break boundaries all over, and I think that they're respected for that. This book in particular obviously is a boundary breaker because it's got a black female lead. Um, and no, nothing backing it, right? She's not Iron Man. She's not, you know, she doesn't have the name Miss Marvel. She's just a, an original IP. And they took a gamble. And unfortunately, it looks like a lot of retailers didn't buy in. Uh, now, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, there's racism involved uh, on the part of the retailers. But it means that there's a fear on their part that consumers don't want this. Um uh, just really quick, this article is coming from Bleeding Cool. So if you want to read the full story, uh, we'll have a link to it uh, if you want to check it out. But uh, as always, we have all of the all the news stories are linked below yeah. if you want to read more. So uh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, I, I just want to take a second to uh, to get a feel for this. Uh, Bleeding Cool sometimes has like super questionable, questionable content, don't they? They're not always super honest with their. I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of criticism levied toward yeah. them. Journalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've they've definitely been accused of using kind of um, clickbaity headlines to make stories seem a little more hyperbolic. And <laughs> like, I, and I know I originally I was the one that originally brought this to the the group's attention, but like, uh, I just, I'm looking at this now and they're basically just showing the interiors of the of the comic and i don't like it seems just like something to show the comic off what do you mean in, instead of you know addressing like 
an issue, maybe? I, I well, don't know. Those, those could easily be previews just to visually enhance the article. I mean, we've all been familiar with having to do that. Um, yeah, we've all been on that side of the fence. But I don't know. This doesn't feel like that because it's, I mean, it's... You think you think it feels di- like disingenuine? Yeah, because like it's it's the uh the 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 comics it's open like it's just like it's it's it looks like it could just be the writer opened the comic and took these pictures on his desk and plugged them into well, the. Let me let me just first properly represent the article by reading a, a few snippets from it to give you guys a feel for exactly what's being said here. So, um, in the article, he says we pointed out how Image were making the first three issues returnable, how it will contain a backup strip, a prelude story to another new comic, and we ran preview pages that had been shown off at Thought Bubble. I was expecting the piece to increase advanced reorders of the comic from retailers, and it did, and it it, it really did. And that was the story I was expecting to be writing today. But what I didn't expect to hear was the admission from some retailers that they didn't order the comic at all because the character has a black female lead. Now, the explanation given isn't that the retailers in question are, in fact, racist. It's just that all their customers are, or at least won't buy a comic with a female black lead character. Uh, so that that's that's the meat of the reporting um, regarding this topic. Now, I, I think it's a little bit unfair to say that the customers are racist or to imply that the customers are racist. But I think it's fair to say that they won't buy a comic with a female, a, a black female lead. Um, or at least that that's what the retailers think. Yeah, that that I think is definitely true, right? Like, I, I think like just if we want to comment on this story, right? I think that is the salient point there is I don't think it says anything about comic readers per se. I think it, it says a lot about what the assumptions of comic book store open op- owners are though, excuse me. Um, and like just a little anecdotal, uh, evidence, I guess for that is, you know, I am friendly with a few different comic book store owners in, in my home state of New Jersey. And, um, I know that they are less likely to order more copies of like image books in general, like when there's something that they don't think will sell. Um, and I know that, uh, for example, like, like Snot Girl, right. Apparently really did not sell very well. And I know anecdotally from a lot of the stores that I visit, that um, they started like lessening what they were ordering every time because they're finding that uh, I guess a, a decent amount of their readership wasn't interested in about reading about a woman who's like a fashion blogger, you know, and like that doesn't necessarily like say anything about the people that read comics as a whole, but it might say something about like what the interests are of like the core uh, readership of comics that like go to comic book stores every Wednesday or something like that. That might be true. And I, and I also want to make this point in defense of the retailers uh they get burned a lot and they have to spend their money on these books without necessarily knowing if anybody's going to walk in the store and buy them so they have to make a lot of tough decisions about what to stock i don't love the idea that they that they actively chose not to stock this book because the character is black but i i'm not in their position and so I don't know that maybe no one walked in and pre-ordered, which is a big way that retailers know what to stock. But at the same time, Image made this book a really easy purchase. They made it returnable. They made Image made the book returnable and stores still wouldn't stock it. It, it does seem a little suspect to me that uh, a book with basically the same team as 
the Batgirl reboot uh, wouldn't sell. Yeah, that is weird. Especially, especially with an image under an image uh, banner. Right. That being said, though, man, you know, uh, it does it does have really big names on it, and it's got image, but like, unless you're like already a fan of image books, like it's not necessarily, you know, like that you would have heard about this book until there was some controversy. So like, I, you know, like comic book stores to Sean's point operate on like razor thin margins. So like if they thought they were going to lose money on this book, even if they could return it, like that's shelf space that they're giving to a book that didn't sell. That's a book that they need to order and then like get the copies and then return them and stuff. And like, that's a hassle. And if they don't think that people are going to buy it, why even bother? Yeah. And that sucks. Like, I'm not. I'm not happy about that, but you know, business is business, and comic book stores are already struggling. And I. I also want to say, just from from my perspective, this is not a book that I I'd heard about at all. Yeah, me neither. Um, but beyond that, it's not a book that is immediately appealing to me, and I'm saying that as a as a black man, right? That that just I don't know what it's about. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> Sean's black. Yeah. You gotta get that webcam fixed. <laughs> lifting the curtain oh boy um i don't know what is supposed to sort of draw me towards this book outside of the creative team i guess but nothing about it really spoke to me as a consumer i was gonna make a dumb joke about our show lo- losing subscribers because we have a black male lead boy oh boy <laughs> <laughs> What what'd you just say, Sean? Oh, oh, the creative team. Right, right. Okay. I actually think this speaks to a larger problem about comic books in general, like as a medium, uh, is that I, I feel like most comic book fans, um, unless you're like kind of deep in the trenches, do a lot of times are, excuse me, are more attached to like characters and and brands than they are writers and artists. And I think like that's the problem is like, is there anything like signaling you to read this book besides the creative team? And it's like, maybe no, but you would hope that like, if you like Babs Tar's work, if you, I forget who you just said was writing it, but um, if you, yeah. what was his name? Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. And Cameron Stewart. If you like Cameron Stewart and Babs Tar's work that you would go and read the book based on that alone. And I think like that is true for a lot of, like other mediums in general. Like if you like a musician, you'll check out their next record. If you like a director, you'll go see their next movie, even if it isn't something that you're necessarily interested in. And I don't think we see that as much as we probably need to in comics. Actually, I would I would disagree. I think I think tons of fans follow creative teams, especially creative teams like this one that built such a following on Batgirl. Those fans are really diehard. Then why didn't they go um, to this book? Because I, I personally believe that this book, no one promoted it. I had no idea it existed. I, I feel like it was just left to the wayside. And it I the retailers didn't give it a chance. And like I already said, I, I understand that position. But the book died a death because it never had a chance to live. Don't you think too, though, that like if like, okay, so to your point, right? If people really do follow creators as closely as they, as they should, or if a, a sizable number of comic fans do that, right? Don't you think that those people would be following those creators on Twitter or on Facebook or something, and they would be promoting the book, and that would be how they would hear it's, about it? It's, it's hard for me to say. I'm, I'm the minority fan in that I don't do social media. So 
for me, I would have no way of knowing that this book exists without promotion through other websites or, you know, seeing it somewhere in a preview or Midtown Comics or something like that. Uh, so do, do all fans follow creators on Twitter? Don't know. I have no way of answering that question. I think that's the point I'm making is I, I don't think that there aren't people that follow creators because like obviously we all do. A lot of the people we know who like comics do, but I, I don't think it's a sizable percentage of them. I do think that like – I don't think as many people do that, at, at least when they – especially if they go to independent books. Like I think it, it's easy to be like I really liked you know Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Does that mean I'm going to go pick up Sex Criminals? May, probably not. I, I think it's gotten better. Then it has been, especially with uh, these creators making such uh, such big splashes. Like, uh, for instance, uh, you know, Fractions Hawkeye or uh, Stuart and Tars and Fletcher's uh, Batgirl. Uh, I think it has gotten easier to do that, and I think it has uh, those stories have made more of an impact. Um, and I think I, th- I think some. To a degree, some of that has gotten better, but I overall, I mean, I think, I think, unless you make the conscious decision to follow a writer, it it's tough to do. So I like I I don't see that being necessarily true. Well, w- one thing that I will say is when you look at some of the the more prominent writers in comics right now, uh. And that those being like Rick Remender, Matt Fraction, Jonathan Hickman, uh, Jason Aaron, guys like that, they were unknown, relatively unknown, before they jumped into Marvel's Playground. When they left Marvel's Playground, they took a lot of people with them. Uh, Rick Remender specifically has said that he's betting on himself uh, for the since since he left Marvel to see if he can uh, generate enough of a fan base based on what he did at Marvel to follow his books. And he's been successful at that. And he's not the only one. Everyone who has left the big two to go do their own thing has found success. And there's a reason for that. It's because what they did over there caused people to want to follow them and read their work. I don't feel like this book is necessarily any different in that respect. So that's that's the point I'm, I, I think is – I think you're right. But not – none of those – okay. I think you're correct. But I don't think that – Regardless of the fact that they have taken people with them, not all of them, or maybe not like a sizable enough percentage of them is the point I'm making. Because it's like, regardless of the success of, you know, Remender's books at Marvel were all bestsellers, you know, were like top of the charts consistently. And like, regardless of the fact that he's created a lot of books that are really good or have critical acclaim and have resonance with his fans who followed him and with like hardcore comics fans... I think that there's still probably a sizable percentage of comic book readership that don't follow those people away from Marvel or DC books because You're that's absolutely what they right. And 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 the, the what I what I'm saying is because you have to evaluate the sales right of books that are that are quote unquote indies or not the big two very differently than you than you look at the big two with the exception of Walking very Dead and Saga very differently. So their successes because they're they're able to generate enough money. Um, to, to live right there yeah. it's a grassroots thing it's like it's supported directly by the 20 or thirty thousand exactly. people that read it and, and it, tra- know, or- it, it it translates differently so to me when i'm saying that people follow them that they take people with them i'm saying they take enough people with them to be able to support that book without the machine behind it which is which is yes. you know just a, a different thing in comics this book for whatever reason 
It's a yeah. new thing too. It's like it's yeah. a very recent yeah. thing in comics. Like even though like Image did that in the '90s, like I don't think creators' names had as much weight until I, yeah, more recently. I right. And I think right. that is because of social media and access. Right. It's like you get to know creators and you can follow them directly. You know, and you can hear about their new book and go read it because you like the right. Last and one. so I guess ultimately none of us can say definitively why this book underperformed. But to me, from my perspective. Retailers actively choosing not to stock it plays a role. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any debate there. So I'd like to move on because it's getting late here. Uh, but uh, Rat Queens is coming back. Yeah. So there's I, – I, I wanted to get this on the list this week. It's uh, – obviously, it's it's a piece of news, so we were going to comment on it. But, um, you know, I, I really like Rat Queens – or I, I guess I have a really complicated relationship with Rat Queens now because I, I loved the comic. It was my second favorite thing on my pull list every month for a long time. Can you explain the story to the listeners? Yeah, yeah I was about to say that. So there's if, if you haven't read Rat Queens, I'm the only one on the, the podcast that has read it. Um, first of all, how dare you? That was one of the first... Oh, you read the first six, right? Yeah, that was one of the first things we bonded over. How, how dare you? <laughs> guys, guys, we pals... Hug it out. Uh, okay, so sorry. To to give you the Reader's Digest version of this story, right? So Rat Queens uh, launched at Image a couple years ago. I think it was 2014. Uh, to massive praise, it was an Eisner Award winner in its first year. Uh, there was a huge bit of drama when um, it was the book was co-created by Curtis J. Weeby, who was the writer, and Rock Upchurch, who was the artist. And uh, Rock Upchurch was arrested for uh, domestic abuse for like very seriously beating his wife. Uh, she made a very um, emotional kind of like public statement that explained the extent of his abuse and everything. So uh, obviously fans were disgusted because Rat Queens was heralded for being this, um, you know, very like kind of progressive like book. It stars four really awesome uh, leading ladies. It, it, it was just a really good like, you know, for lack of a better word, a really good feminist book. Um, that happened to be written by two men. And and um, to hear that the artist, you know, was an abuser was something that was, you know, hard for the fans to rea uh, react to. Um, Curtis Weeby fired him from the book. He was briefly replaced before they got a full-time replacement for him, who was um, Tess Fowler, who is a great artist um, and someone I'm really a fan of now because of her work on Rat Queens. Uh, she was allegedly told the entire time that like she was the new permanent artist. The book wouldn't be taken away from her. She didn't have to look for other work or worry about that. She could focus on Rat Queens. Uh, the book was announced that it was going on a creative hiatus after the 16th issue and that she would not be returning. She took to social media and explained that, um, you know, despite being told all these things that I just told you that this was her book, she would not be forced off, that she was, uh, you know, kind of had the rug pulled out from under her and was being taken off the book. Uh, and that it seemed as though Rock Upchurch, the original artist, would be coming back because Curtis and him had still been in contact. Curtis had shared some of his art on the Rat Queen's social media pages and stuff, which seemed really weird to the fans. And um, obviously this created a huge controversy because, you know, again, then it seemed like Curtis was, you know, supporting uh, this abuser after he said that he didn't want Rat Queens to be associated with domestic abuse and that there was, you know, uh, no excuse for this behavior and da 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 so uh, it really left a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouth, mouths, me included. You know, it's like that is a tough pill to swallow. Uh, so now the news this week is that Rat Queens will be returning with a new number one. Uh, there's going to be a new artist called Owen Gini, and uh, it's being described as a, quote, a fresh, soft reboot. So it seems like they're just going to kind of 
try to sidestep all this controversy and give Rat Queens a fresh start here. And, um, yeah, I wanted to open it up to talk to you guys a little bit about, like, the topic of the death of the artist and, you know, uh, can you enjoy a book when it has this kind of dark cloud hanging over it? And maybe you guys can help me come to terms with the idea of if I should pick up this number one in March, because Rock's not on the book, the abuser isn't on the book, so I'm not supporting him by buying it. But, you know, should I feel weird about it? You know, you know, what are your guys' thoughts? What, uh, just, I just want to be clear, because you said this earlier as we were talking about getting ready for the show, the death of the artist, what, what do you, what do you mean by that? Okay, so the death of the artist is, uh, I guess you could say, like a philosophical concept applied to critique of a piece of art in that you should only judge an art, uh, <laughs> judge an art, you should only judge a piece of art based on the piece of art and not based on the person who created it. So, like, a good example of that would be, um, you know, there's subtext in Harry Potter that Dumbledore is gay, right? But the fandom at large takes um, that subtext as fact because J.K. Rowling has said on Twitter that Dumbledore is gay. I wrote him as gay, whether or not the book tells you that. Um, and that a lot of people would argue is like, well, that's not acceptable. The text has to tell you that a character is gay. You know, like you like you need to look at the work for the work and not consider the artist who made the work. Well, it's lazy for an author to be like, oh, th this is what I really meant. Right. Yeah. So it's partly that. And it's also partly the idea that like a person's actions shouldn't taint their art. And I, I think that's a hard uh, marriage to divorce for some people, you know, that like I, I do think on some level uh, the artist is intrinsically tied to the art and my opinion of them does affect my ability to enjoy something. No, I think that's a tough subject for most conscientious consumers of media and art, whether it's a painting or it's music. Or as Sean and I talked about before the show, wrestling, um, it it comes down to whether people can distinguish between an art and the creator of the art or not. And it's a difficult marriage. And I think, Pete, if you as a person have a hard time distinguishing between the two, like I generally do, uh, I don't know if you'd be able to be convinced to go give it another chance. Yeah, I really don't know, honestly. Like, I think the most telling thing was um, I really wanted Rat Queens number one for a long time, right? Because I'm a fan of the book. And uh, I found it with you guys at New York Comic Con, and I decided not to buy it because I didn't really know if I wanted it anymore. Yeah, it's it's a really uh, unfortunate situation, but ultimately, I think a lot of times, you know, our heroes are just, you know, they're human, and uh, we love their works, but we don't necessarily love their actions. And... Uh, uh, as Phil was saying, you know, no matter what the medium is, there are tons of examples of things like this. Uh, we're big wrestling fans and, you know, everyone knows the story of Chris Benoit. And for me as a wrestling fan, you know, it's terrible what he did and, and what happened, even though, you know, obviously um, really quick, just for people who may not know, uh, they they did tests on his brain. He had the brain of a of like a 90 year old with Alzheimer's or something like that. Um, we, we, yeah, and, and he murdered, he suicide murdered his family and himself. Yeah. I still want to see his matches. For me, in that context, I can separate the man's actions from his work in the ring, uh, from his art. And I still want that art. But in a case with like Orson Scott Card, I can't read Ender's Game anymore because of his views on homosexuality. So. I, th I th yeah, I think there's a conscious difference there. 
Yeah, I, I think I think Benoit is an interesting example because like I'm I'm not a wrestling fan. I I have a relationship with wrestling because I've always been friends with wrestling fans. But um, you know, and like for me, I, I think like the idea that the WWE has kind of like tried to remove Chris Benoit from like wrestling Almost history completely. is like yeah, I mean like you know they won't even show matches where he won titles, you know, and it's like that to me I I think is uh that's a tough pill to swallow. Like, I, I do think that's kind of a decision I don't know if I agree with. And then maybe it is on some level to your point, Phil, that like, I feel like his actions are horrible. And like, when you think about the reality of that situation, it's it's really scary. You know, it's like what he did was like sickening, but it's hard to make him. He doesn't feel totally palpable in it because he was sick. I don't think he's you know, 100% it's like, accountable for his actions. Yeah, right. And like maybe that does make it easier to to look at him when he wasn't sick and be like, this was him when he was well in his career. And, you know, like it, it does feel different. Whereas like to bring up a far less savory example, um, maybe not less savory because let's again, the reality of Chris Benoit's story is horrifying. Um, but like Bill Cosby. You know, it's like I can't like I loved the Cosby show and there are a couple of his standups that I really enjoyed as a fan of stand up comedy. But I, I can't consume those anymore knowing that he's a rapist, you know, and it's like that's he's 100 percent accountable for that. You know, it's like that's disgusting, deplorable behavior, especially when you think about the image that he projected as being this like father figure to America and how he probably used that to abuse people is like. You know, that does, you know, that's totally fucking And to Sean's point, Orson Scott Card, very consciously, deliberately homophobic. Right, right. And that's like, I guess, to take it back to Rat Queens is I think where I'm having the issue, right? It's like, I was talking about this a little bit with Sean last night, and I actually want to do a video about it for the channel. Um, is Curtis Weeby, like, pal accountable in this? You know, it's like, like, is there, can I read this as, sure, like, Rock Up Church did a horrible thing. He's he's a bad person. I can't forgive him. But he like Curtis and him were still friends, right? So is there in any level maybe that like him retaining some relationship with him is out of hope that his friend might get well or might, you know, um own up to his actions and and um and move on from them and you know like maybe he wasn't really going to come back to the book. What he did to Tess is shitty no matter what. But that could be a shitty business move that i could forgive versus him enabling an abuser which is something i can't forgive and i think i think there it just it's just a, we don't know them personally so we have no idea right. what their yeah. relationship that's where is i was like. gonna go to next and, yeah and if we feel conflicted morally imagine how he feels when that's his friend so there's just right you know, it's right just, it's impossible to really answer that how should you feel i really don't know i mean for me like there's a situation involving Tess Fowler as well with Brian Wood, where she alleged that he uh, he hit on her and tried to use his position in comics as a writer uh, as a means of get, getting her to do sexual things with him when she was relatively yeah, to unknown. solicit sex yeah. from her essentially. Um, but I love his work, and quite frankly, you know, to be honest, I've not stopped reading his books because of that story. I still read his books. And I'm going to continue to read his books because I love what he does. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I support in any way who he who he was in that moment or in those moments as a human. Right. Or, or maybe his actions as a person in general. I, I think there would be people that would be very like, like venomously disagree with you, Sean. But I'm inclined to agree. I, I don't 
I, I think even when people do terrible things, we don't know those people personally. And it's almost unfortunate that those are public figures and their actions get out into the public. But as an individual, I like to try to like give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, tr- I try not to let her- horrendous actions dictate my enjoyment of media. But generally speaking, if I have a very strong personal rapport with a, an, a, a creator, an artist, an athlete, whatever, I'll tend to enjoy what they put out more because I feel like I'm relating to them as an individual. Right. And I, I guess like that's also part of this conundrum for me because I think to Sean's point earlier, uh, you know, he said like sometimes your heroes aren't the people that you thought they were. And that's the thing is like I didn't have any attachment to Rat Queens' creative team. You know, like this is the first book I ever read by them. I like the characters. I like the world. I like the dynamic of the four leading characters, you know? And um, I think that's why I'm so conflicted because I think if it was more of a thing where I was attached to – uh, the creative team, and then I learned this this like character assassinating thing, uh, potentially a character assassinating thing about them. Um, that would matter a lot more to me. You know, I can think of plenty of creators where I do have like a personal attachment to them. You know, and like if I found out that they were a bad person, um, you know, like somebody like Brian K. Vaughn. You know, where it's like I really connect to his writing emotionally because I think him and I have a lot of things in common emotionally. You know, and I think like for like a book like Saga, which is all about like. Uh, him, his experiences with fatherhood. If I found out that he was like a shitty father, that would kind of ruin Saga. Okay, I, I, I see that, and I really don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. I really think it's, it's, it's just something that comes down to the individual. Because you know, Pete, you said you couldn't watch Cosby's Show. I'm dying for it to get back on the air, and I hate what he did. I condemn it 100. percent I think it's horrible. Um, but I, I love the show, and that's him in his element as an actor creating his art and i want to experience that art as a separate entity from the man but that's not always true for me so it's just it's just you know it i don't know it's tough yeah uh, you know what sean i will say i respect that position and it's it's one i find myself uh that i wish i could adopt sometimes but it's it's i i'm in the middle on it i really do struggle because there are times where i think it doesn't matter and then there are times where like i feel it in my gut that i can't ignore it well, that's how I felt about Orson Scott Card, which is why I only read one Ender's Game book and I'm done with the series. I think if you feel it in your gut, you um, that's that's really the end of the story, you know? Yeah, man. I, I, I'm i still, you know, I have a couple months. The jury's out on Rat Queens. I think hopefully after I make the video that I was talking about, maybe I'll have uh, some closure on it one way or the other. Uh, so definitely let us know where you fall on that issue because I think it's, Definitely an important one to have as a you know as a collective. Yeah, let us know what your thoughts are on the the concept of the death of the artist. And if you're reading Rat Queens, let me know how you feel. I would love to talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was announced uh, yesterday that Gabby Rivera will write America for Marvel. Um, now, for those of you who... Is that going to be the name of the book, America? I think so. That's awesome. That's a great title. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, America Chavez is a... Latina character who is also queer. Um, and she's actually really cool. She was a member of the Young Avengers, also is currently a member of the Ultimates. Um, and she's getting her own series. Uh, and it's being written by a Latina person, uh, Gabby Rivera. Um, she is an author. She wrote a young 
adult novel called Juliet Takes a Breath. So she's jumping into comics, and this is her first foray. Oh, this yeah. is her first comic too? That's awesome. I, I love – that's like been a, a really interesting trend lately. Yeah, that like is something I was originally not into. But um, it's been cool to like see these other voices come and kind of tackle comics and see like what they can bring to the it, table. It's funny because Grant Morrison for Multiversity 2 has been talking about getting a bunch of just random local artists that have no relation to comics and having them do a comic book. That's a fun idea. But that was the case with um with the guy who's writing Black Panther. No, it wasn't this is his first comic? Yeah, that's my well, right? point. Like, yeah. there's this trend of just pulling these non comic book yeah. people. Yeah, in. him and uh, Chelsea Kane. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So here's a here's a quote from Gabby herself. It's a little bit terrifying and intimidating to be a queer woman entering the Marvel universe. Internally, I've been like, man, are people going to read this and tear me apart because of my identities? Because I'm a woman. So. That's oh yeah. she's queer too yeah the writer wow oh that's great that's so great that we have a queer Latina woman writing a book about a queer Latina woman quote. Yeah. thank you Marvel but that quote yeah. where she's like she's worried about being torn apart yeah, yeah. I mean that's as I mean yeah it sucks but as she should be yeah like that's just that sucks yeah I mean it's a shame that that's her feeling coming into comics but like you know uh, to bring it back to Cassandra Kane like it's not. You know, that's a pretty realistic fear. So I'm I'm glad that she's not letting that get in the way. Chelsea Kane. Chelsea Kane, thank you. Yeah, Cassandra Kane is Batgirl. I think this is great. I think it's really cool. Um, you know, I, I since since America's uh, debut from uh Kira Gillen and uh, Jamie McKelvey, it's something fans have wanted for a really long time. Um, hopefully people buy it. I mean, I hope that like what Kale's talking about ends up mattering. Like the fact that like Fans seem to really like this character, so let's hope that um, that that translates to sales and we get another. You know, it's like what I, what we were talking about. I wasn't was it last episode or two episodes ago where we were talking about uh, establishing new yeah. characters. Uh, yeah, a couple episodes. Whatever, sure. Right, a couple episodes ago. Check out the link to go watch one of our other episodes. Boom, plugs. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I think this is great because this is organic. You know, like this is just a new character, and she, you know has a following she's been around for a long time she's paid her dues as members of other teams and now she's getting her own book and if this book takes off and you know even, even if it's a moderate success like that would be sure. great that would be uh, in my mind a huge fucking win. yeah yeah absolutely and um i'm, I'm happy this is the diversity yeah, i want absolutely. to see marvel hasn't hasn't let this character fall by the wayside they've stuck by her given her things to do uh i'm familiar with her from the ultimates uh, so I'm excited to see what they do with the series and bringing on people who can resonate with the characters because they have like experiences. That's brilliant. That is the way to do this. So kudos to Marvel. Uh-huh. I wouldn't even call that brilliant. That's like fucking the fact that that's not how we've been doing it forever is like laughable. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a simple, it's a simple brilliance, I suppose. Uh, I feel, I, I feel like I saw the art was being done by uh, Joe Canones. Yes. Can anybody confirm that? Yes, is that, that true? Is true. Good. Yeah, that's a that's a that's gonna be a good team. But yeah, I I'm really excited to see a book that's about a Latin character have a Latin voice, and like I really hope it resonates yeah. with people for sure. Um, and, and as far as like the editorial team goes, I I think uh this is a guy that did uh, he put out the feelers for the team for Squirrel Girl and uh, Howard the Duck, which is where Joe Canonas kind of connects to that. Uh, so yeah, I think uh this is another book that has a has the potential to hit it out of the park 
just like those That's two. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So be sure to go out and pick this one up, guys. That I think is a good place to wrap up. Uh, so we're going to close out now. That's it for this episode of the Comics Pals, episode five. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. And if you did, be sure to like and comment on the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, follow us on Twitter at the Comics Pals, Instagram at the Comics Pals, and you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And that's the Comics Pals, T H E C O M I C S P A L S at gmail.com. Thank you, Pete, for the assist. Pete, a trophy for the spelling bee. <laughs> yeah! You don't get that, Pete, but what you do get is the opportunity to plug. Yes! (laughs) All right, guys. uh, I'm going to start the plug section off, as I always do, by thanking you for joining us here on Episode 5 of the Comics Pals. I hope you'll come back next Monday and, uh, you know, check out some of our other episodes if you haven't already. Um, So if you want more of me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at loud underscore Pete, where I'm, you know, often commenting on pop culture and, you know, sharing gifts that show my frustration with the universe. Um, if you want like more content from me, you can check out my YouTube channel, uh, Slack and Slash. We're Slack and Slash on YouTube, uh, Slack and Slash.com, at Slack and Slash on all social media platforms and Facebook. Uh, I do a podcast every Monday with some of my other friends. We do Let's Plays and scripted shows about video games. So I hope you'll join us if you're a gamer. Cool. Kale? Uh, sure. As always, I'm going to plug uh, my comics company, Panels Publishing. We're a small company that uh, uh, helps get novice creators out into the uh, comics business. Um, you can find us on Facebook at uh, Panels Comics, on Twitter at Panels Comics with an X. Uh, our stuff is on Comicsology as Panels Publishing. And you can find the rest, uh, the majority of our, our things uh on our website at panelspublishing.com. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at TotoInTow. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Sounds good. And I'm I'm just mad all the time, so. That's true. He's very cantankerous. Kale's currently tweeting every day about how grumpy he is. He can't play Pokemon Sun and Moon. That's correct. Phil, why don't you close us out? All right, I'm gonna plug Pokemon Sun and Moon. With that said, <laughs> no, wait, I have a, I'm going somewhere with this. With that said, <laughs> uh, tweet at me at Cyborg Holiday, and we I will we can exchange friend codes or whatever, and we could trade and battle Pokemans on there. Guys, uh, how have we not done that? Oh shit! Yeah, yeah we need, the, to, we, guys we need to do it. that. Yeah, Phil, Holy what crap. the fuck? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> so much for those t- plugs. Well, I'm the opposite. <laughs> Pete's dead, everyone. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. All right. On that lovely note, oh we are the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. <laughs> See you next week, pals. Bye.